What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Maybe. Benny isn't the dream. We are. Maybe we're nothing more than figments of his imagination. For all we know, at this very moment, somewhere far beyond all those distant stars, Benny Russell is dreaming of us. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Positively Trek Book Club. I'm Dan Gunther, and with me, believe it or not, is Bruce Gibson. Bruce is back for this very special episode of Positively Trek. Bruce, how's it going? It's going really well. I decided, you know what? This is a special occasion. It's time to come out of the wormhole and make my appearance on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, you probably just heard another voice there, which is the reason why this is a very special episode. We have on the show none other than Derek Tyler Attico. Oh, sorry. I should say editor in quote marks, of the autobiography of Benjamin Sisko, which we will be talking about on the show. So, Derek, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Dan, Bruce, thank you so much for having me, man. I've been waiting for this uh, for a while. Dan, you know, we've known each other for, for a minute. Um, So, yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. Let's, let, let, let's do it. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I I have to say at the start, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time and I'm, I'm giddy to be able to talk to you, especially about this book, because I really feel like it's taking fandom by storm. It's incredible. It's really good. And this is a high bar, but I think it's my favorite of the Titan autobiographies they've done of the Star Trek folks. Thank you. Uh, I don't even know how to deal with that. So I'll just say thank you. Um, you know, that, that's, that, that's, that's very kind. Um, the other books are, are, are phenomenal. Um, I read mm-hmm. them and, you know, I was like, oh my God, I got, I gotta, I gotta meet that bar. Um, but thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll jump in and to our listeners, I want to say the first part of this will be spoiler free. So if you have not gotten the book, go ahead, feel free to listen. We'll give you a warning when we get into spoilers, but I will have to say, you know, if you haven't picked up this book, you really, really ought to, especially if you're even the slightest Deep Space Nine fan, this book is just such a great companion to that wonderful show. And uh, I, I think you're really doing yourself a disservice if you don't read this one. So go do that. But uh, we'll give you a warning when we get, when we get into spoilers. Yeah, I just want to add to that real quick because I've been doing a rewatch of DS9. I Ooh. kind of slowed down for a while, but I'm in the seventh season. And now, especially reading this book while I'm watching, mm. do my rewatch, it changes some of my perspective when I look at Captain Cisco. So we'll go deeper into that kind of stuff. Nice. But it really enhances it. Nice, nice. I'll say really quick that I'm fighting a little bit of a cold. So um, I'll be popping cloth drops and I'll be drinking and sipping tea as as we go. So just to let you and the fans... And the fans know if you hear me sniffling, that that's that's what that is, you know. Um, <laughs> you should know, Bruce. You know, being in and out of the wormhole, it it, it has those those problems, you know, with atmosphere and all that. It, it it deals with that. So yeah, that's that's what I'm dealing with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just getting a little choked up by what. Oh, oh well, well, that too. I mean, of course, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, that that too. No, I'm I'm just really happy that people 
are, are liking it because when I when I wrote it, um, you know, you have an NDA and and um, I, I wrote I did the outline and everything. And but you're writing in a vacuum. You know, I can't speak to anybody about it. I can't I have I have a, a cadre of people that I usually uh, tap, you know, for like short stories and stuff. But, you know, I couldn't do any of that. So I had to just be like, trust my gut. This is what I came up with and and go. And, you know, you're writing in a vacuum and you get in the middle of it. And you're like, is, is any of this good? It's like, yes, it's good. It's good. It's just, just <laughs> you know, people are going to like it. But you just have to make those decisions and just uh, stay the course, you know, stay the course. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's uh, that's what I did for 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 for, for this. And I'm, I'm just really happy that people are um, enjoying um, the origin story I brought to Benjamin Siskin. Excellent. Well, let's uh, dive into a little bit of your background first. Uh, I want to know, I, I'm always curious how people came to Star Trek, how you became a fan, you know, what was your first uh, awareness of Star Trek and, and the part it played oh in your life? Oh my God, man. My, my father, uh, well, really my mom and dad, but my, my, my dad used to, um, in, the, in the olden days, used to uh, repair televisions. Back when, you know, televisions were expensive and people actually had like a TV repairman come to the house and stuff, which is like eons ago. And he would repair them. And um, I have this distinct memory of him working on a television in our living room, which he would do all the time. And it was on. I don't know why he would work on the body, but on. That's another thing. But <laughs> it was on. And he was behind it, you know, in, on the inside, working on the insides. On the screen was this guy with pointy ears in a blue shirt with his hands on this creature and he was in pain and he was he was feeling this mm -hmm. creature's pain and it was the episode devil in the dark and he was talking to the hoarder and I, I couldn't have been more than six seven years old and i was all in you know i was hooked and my parents were like oh yeah that's star trek you know and from that moment um i just started watching star trek and the ideals of star trek were very interesting to me I, I i talked about this in an essay actually the ideals of star trek were very interesting because those were the same ideals that my parents were teaching me and it was interesting for me as a kid to see like they were these adults on television that were upholding the things that my parents because usually parents would teach would tell you stuff but you're like you don't see those things you know but here were a group of people in the future helping people for no reason other than to help people. Everybody was equal. Everybody was the same. You know, everybody was working together. And I really just uh, gravitated towards that and just really was was really all in. And, and, and then my mom and I would watch it all the time, all the time. And I was hooked after that. So I, I started with TOS. And then um, I kind of got into TOT on TNG, but I really didn't like TNG, if I'm being really honest, that much. Didn't like it that much. And, and then a friend of mine's, uh, like in 2004, he said, hey, uh, they got this thing called the Star Trek Strange New Worlds anthology contest. And fans are able to like just write a story, send it in. And if it's any good, you know, they'll publish like the best, like 10 or 12. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I like Star Trek. Okay. So I started watching TNG. And by that time, it was around, I think, um, well, I guess, I don't know. I guess TNG was done by that time, right? But so I started watching it. And... I was like, oh man, TNG is really, really good. It's exactly what Roddenberry um, started in TOS. It's the same values, the same ideals. The characters all harken back to the original series. And I fell in love with that. So I wrote a story, Alpha and Omega, um, submitted that for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. That got in and took first place. So I was really honored with that. And that started me. Wait, 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 wait. 
So you've never <laughs> written before, like anything? Like, had you been writing fiction? Was this like your first time you ever wrote fiction? Um, pretty much, yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing I had written before then. It's amazing. Yeah, the only thing I'd written before then, um, when I was sixteen. Well, uh, I, I saw Star Wars as a kid. Um, at ten years old, I saw the original Star Wars. So then I wanted to know like everything there was to know about like how George Lucas did it. And I was like, well, I wanted to learn how to direct and how to screenwrite. So I just like read a lot about writing and directing and all that. So from like 10 to six, 16, I did nothing but read all this stuff. And so I started writing a Star Wars screenplay at 16. In high school, I gave it to my um, English teacher to you know check my grammar and everything. And she took like two months to give it back to me. And I'm like, who takes two months to get out? I was like, what's going on? She's like, you can give it back to me. Um, I'll give it back to you, but you have to come with me to Manhattan. And I got your mom's consent. And I'm like, what is going on? Turns out she submitted it to the um, um, Dramatist Guild of America award contest where they pick uh, 12, out of 12,000 students across America, they pick 12 screenplays. And mine was one of the 12. That was the first thing I'd ever written, ever. Oh my gosh, do you know you have this underlying talent you didn't know about? Yeah, until later? yeah. yeah. So that so that that first thing I ever wrote was a screenplay. It was a Star Wars screenplay wow. that got in. So then I wanted to um I was like, wow. So then after college, I wanted to go to NYU, uh Tisch School of the Arts. I applied, I got accepted. I couldn't afford it. So I never went. That's the the way things happen. So I was like, ah, you know, I, I decided to go on um, Johnson College Criminal Justice for Law um, as a fallback. After two years of that, I was like, oh my God, I am not, I'm not, I'm not ethically the person to be a lawyer. You know, it's just you just have to have a whole different set of um <laughs> anyway. I'm not I can't be a lawyer. Yeah, I can't be a lawyer. I'm like not not trashing on lawyers. Yeah, you have the Star Trek values, right? Yes, I don't want to trash on <laughs> lawyers, but yes, Bruce. So I realized pretty quick, and and even even like my professors at John Jay were like, Derek, you're just not built. You're built for arts and writing. That's what you're just built for, you know. Um, but you know, I needed to make money. I needed to have a career, so I went into video production, video editing, and I just never did anything with my craft. And then um, Strange New Worlds came around, and so that was the first time I had written. Gosh, that had to be the first time I had written anything in easily ten years. You know, and I had no formal training. The only formal training I had was I took a class from Denny O'Neill on writing for comics. That was pretty much it. And so, um, yeah, so I wrote I wrote that story, submitted it, and it got in and took first place. So I was very thankful and very, you know, honored to get in. I just have to say, though, like for people, uh, if uh, if you haven't read this story, Strange New Worlds number eight uh, and Strange New Worlds, confusingly, is the like, short story right. contest, not the current show. Uh but yeah, it's it's the grand prize winner in number eight, and it is such a good story. Like I remember when I first read it, I that's when I went online and said, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> I, I hadn't heard the name before. Looked you up, and I was just like, "This is incredible. This is such a good story." I don't want to give things away on this because people need to experience it. But it has to do with Q and the Borg and a whole bunch of other stuff with Star Trek, and it goes in directions you wouldn't expect, and. Uh, the one thing that kind of echoed through my mind while I was reading it was in the Voyager episode Q2, when Q yells at his son, if the continuums told you once, they've told you a thousand times, don't provoke the Borg. And we find why? out why in right. this story. Right, right, <laughs> right. We find out why. And there's that, there's that moment in All Good Things 
when um, Q is, uh, Picard, at the very end, Picard asks Q, he says, Q, what are you trying to tell me? And Q goes next to his mm -hmm. ear and is about to say something and then pulls back. And that was the impetus for Alpha and Omega. I was like, what was he going to say? You know? And I was like, oh, that is what he was going to say. So Alpha and Omega, you could read it and then it ties into everything, you know? Um, and it, and a lot of the themes today in Picard, you can see, I'm like, oh, wow, Alpha and Omega. So it shows that I was had my pulse, had the, my finger on the pulse of things. So yeah, after that, I realized I, I, I could write. Um, so I tried to start a professional career writing. I didn't know a lot about the business of writing. I still need to learn, learn a lot about that. And um, I was writing stories here and there and, and just like, you know, working, living life. And then 2016 came around and that was the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. And I hadn't had a lot of professional uh, sales under my belt. So they, uh, they Simon and Schuster Pocket Books, announced they were releasing, they were bringing back the Star Trek Strange New Wars Anthology Contest just for the 50th anniversary. And I was like, hey, this is my opportunity to write another Star Trek story. Who knows when I'm going to have the opportunity to do that? So I, this time I wrote a Benny Russell Deep Space Nine story. And uh, I was like, I'm, I'm going to write the story that I want to write. I'm, I'm, you know, and I wrote it and I was like, this is never going to get in because this is just, it's meta. It's, you know, it's just, it's never going to get in. And um, it got in, <laughs> you know, which was nuts. It got in. It's still nuts. I think about it. It's still nuts. It got in. Derek, do you play the lottery? Because <laughs> you really should. For real. Because you win. You're winning all the time. You know that. For real. No, I'm thankful, man, <laughs> because you're right. But I'm, I'm thankful. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's not a thing of like ego or anything. A friend of mine said, man, Derek, if you realize what you had, what you have, you wouldn't have it. And I think that's, that's a you know, if a person starts to think about, oh, I, I have this or have that, you start to diminish what you have. Does that make any sense? You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, mm, I, I'm, I'm yeah. just like, I'm just thankful. Um, I, I, Obviously, I have an ability and I'm thankful that that I'm using it and that people are enjoying it because that's that's to me, that, that's a big deal. Is that you have this ability and then you're, you're saying things and that people are, it's resonating with people. That's, that's what's really huge. I remember with Alpha and Omega, some guy emailed me and he said, you know, I read Alpha and Omega and I'm reading it to my eight-year-old kid, but I'm not reading it. I'm reading it a little bit every night to him before bed. What else do I need? Hmm. What other review do wow. I need? To, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's it. Totally. That was all I, and that's, <laughs> honestly, that's the only review I really remember about Alpha and Omega, because that somebody's reading something I wrote to their kid at night. So I was like, wow. Um, so that that was a big deal for me. And and then I did the, you know, the, and, um, the, the Benny Russell story. That was well received. And then we jump ahead to now. Basically, what happened was, and here's the thing, which is what I want to talk about, because there was a, as, as the story, as I remember, there was a podcast. Somebody was talking about, someone was talking about, Oh, they're doing the autobiographies and that Titan does it, beautiful autobiographies. They skip Cisco. And some podcasts were saying, oh, they should do, um, they did Jane Way, they should do Cisco. And then someone on Twitter said, well, if they do a Cisco autobiography, they should do, or this guy Attico should do it. And it dawned on me, like when we were talking about the um, this interview, was that you that said that? That was me. What? That's, that's, that's crazy. Nuts. 
I was I was gonna bring up this tweet to ask where where it sits in the timeline. You're blowing my mind. No, you're right blowing now. your mind, dude. <laughs> all right. So first of all, thank you. Seriously. Oh man. So, yes, thank you, Dan. <laughs> no, Dan. So it's because of Dan because that it led to this. Well, let me let's be serious. So so here's what happened. So so. One day I come on to, and I don't know what day, but one day I come on to um, Twitter, you know, you come on Twitter and my name is blown up on Twitter. I'm like, what? You know, cause usually I'll get like five hits, three hits, a hit if I'm lucky, you know? And my name is blowing up. I'm like, what's going on? What did I do? I didn't do anything. And people are like, oh yeah, yeah. I've heard about a this and that. And I'm like, what? And I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, Somebody said that I should do the autobiography. And I was like, yeah, that, that would be that would be dope, but that's like that's gonna ever happen. A, that's gonna ever happen. But then a voice was in my head was like, "Well, you know, they did they did they did skip Cisco. How would you do it?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, there's ways I could do it, you know." And then I start thinking about ways I, I would do it, and you know, and you don't think about anything. And then I don't know, a year or two goes by, right? A year or two goes by, and managing editor of Titan Books reaches out to me on Twitter, George Sanderson. And he says, hey, I'd like to speak to you about a project. And we set up a, um, a conversation and we start talking. And he says, we read The Dream and a Dream, your Benny Russell story. And we they also had heard about that. But they, I think from what I understand, they heard about Either they heard about it through that whole Twitter thing. And then they went back and read the Benny Russell story. So I think hmm. it was a Twitter thing that got them to look at the Deep Space Nine, you know, Strange New World story. And they were like, oh, he would be a good fit for this. So, Dan, no. thank you, man. <laughs> I'm, w- I'm wondering if someone else tweeted about it, too, because I'm looking at the old tweet, and it, it has, like, nine likes and stuff. So I'm, I'm wondering somebody, if there was well, also someone else. else. I, remember, I remember I tweeted it. I retweeted it, of course. And then, and then I remember mm-hmm. it had a little bit of a life, like a day. It had, like, a little bit of a good, right? I, when I, I was like, what? And then I retweeted it, and then somebody else retweeted it, and it got up there. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like I'm gonna say it's like thousands. No, 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 but mm-hmm. it was like hundred or less. You know, which which from Derek, that's that's a thousand. You know, that's a lot. You know, <laughs> and 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 it's enough to like it was like oh wow, this is interesting. And I guess somebody took a look at it, right? So it was enough for somebody to take a look at it, and um. They went and took a look at um, that strange new world story, and read that the Benny Russell story, Dream in a Dream, and from there we had the conversation. And by that time, I had figured out how I wanted to do it, how I wanted to um, frame uh, autobiography of Benjamin Cisco. Uh, they liked the idea I had, the framing device that I had, because uh, Titan had a, a great idea where. Uh, it would be done through Jake, of course, Jake Cisco, who's an author in the story in canon on the show. And in the future, we know he's written this book called Anselm, which is biographical, and it would have elements of his father in that. And I thought that's a great idea, and that book should be done. But my argument was the other autobiographies have been the captains in their own words. And even if we do Jake... That's not going to, it's going to be really Jake's biography and it's going to be like, you know, Jake and his father's autobiography. What we really need is to hear from Benjamin Sisko in his own words. And here's my framing device where we can do that. 
And if you still want to have mm -hmm. Jake, we can still do that with my friend and device. And so when I explained that, it was like, oh, that's a, that's a, a great idea. So that got me the gig. Yeah, because when I was going into this book, I was wondering how that was going to be handled. And I thought, I bet Ben Sisko was writing his autobiography and it ends right before he goes into the wormhole. Like, that's where I thought it was going to go. But it was really interesting how you framed that, because it makes sense for Jake, who's an author, to write on behalf of Cisco, but it's being communicated from Ben Cisco to Jake. Right, right. And um, I was brought up um, uh, really heavily in, in religion and um, Christianity. And um, my mom had me reading a lot of the classics um, as a kid. I, I had like college level reading in fourth grade. So I, I was steeped in like literature and classics. So, you know, um, we are very, and we as a society, as a people, as a species are very, uh, familiar in our mythology with um, um, deities or or mythological gods speaking to humans or speaking to us from their places of wherever they are. That's nothing new. That's nothing new. Right. So that was like okay. Well, that that's something that because the, the 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 biggest challenge with something like this is to do something that can uh, is palatable to the audience that they can wrap their heads around really quickly and be like, oh, that makes sense. You know? Well, and at the same time, the prophets speak to Ben. Right. All the, right? right. All the time. You know, and, and this right. is, a lot of this is built on the shoulders of, you know, the writers of Deep Space Nine to begin with, right? I'm, I'm working on a lot of the foundational groundwork that they've established. And I was like, well, it just makes sense. Also, the last shot and what you leave behind, the last episode of Deep Space Nine, um, we see Jake and he's looking out and he never gets to speak to his father. He, ben speaks to Cassidy, but he never speaks to Jake. So it just made sense for me that in the book, Ben, as soon as he gets into the wormhole, speaks to Jake. But because it's all new to him, being here in a more in a more um, foundational way, and him having this ability now, even though it's the first thing he does, Jake doesn't get the message right away actually, he gets it a few years uh, later. It, it it made so much sense to me because there's Ben in the wormhole. And like you said, he really didn't get to talk to Jake before he left. Right. And knowing what happens in an alternate reality or an alternate timeline, I should say, from the visitor episode. The visitor, yeah. He, this is his chance because he doesn't know if he'll ever speak to Jake again. You know, this is the, this is the chance to say what he's always wanted to say and explain everything he's been through and how he was raised and their culture and, and how much influence that had on him. This is the chance to do that and relay that to his son. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, the events of the visitor uh, was an, another framing device also, because for Ben's character and characterization, you know, Ben experienced those events and he doesn't want to see a repeat of that because, you know, if you think about it from Ben's perspective, he watched his son he watched his son's life and in many ways become a shell of a man, you know, all for trying to, all for trying to uh, bring back his father, you know, and he gave up, he, here's a son that gave up his own life for his parent, which is the last thing a parent would or should want to see. And so Ben realizes, oh, wow, this is a situation which is very much like, like that wormhole inversion. This could, this could actually be history repeating itself. And Jake could actually 
relive that that timeline if I if if I don't say something to him now, you know, and 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 steer him away from that path. And how am I going to do that? Well, okay, um, I'm gonna do that for Jake by telling him about my life. And in telling him about my life, I get to tell him about the things he needs to know as a young man about life. Yeah. It it hadn't occurred to me until reading this that like how those situations parallel each other so much. Like you have Cisco gone, but not really gone. And that could, like you say, lead to a repeat of Jake trying to undertake what he did in that timeline and stuff. And uh, that was really cool. It was a, that was a nice little connection there that to one of my all time favorite episodes too. Yeah, so yeah, there were, there are a lot of parallels that I try to um, bring out and show to the reader um, in the in this in this book because the more I thought about, it, I was like, wow, um, Benjamin Cisco has a his life is has a lot of parallels um, and and just the things that I wanted to say in his life and do in his life. I thought there was a lot of opportunity to show parallels because I know in life there are a lot of parallels. I know in my life there have been events that uh, something may happen in my life. I'm like, oh, that was a happy event. Or, oh, that was a bad event. And you, you move on. And then 20 years later, an event will happen. You're like, oh, man, that experience I had 20 years ago as a kid informs something. That's that's life. That's humanity, right? Something that happened way back informs something as, you know, as you get older, and so I was like, if I can, it's not linear. It's not linear. <laughs> and so that speaks to, that was the beauty of what I was trying to do was to show that life in many ways and, and, and an autobiography in many ways is not linear because things inform things out of sync, you know? And so that's what I'm trying to show in Ben's life and him telling Jake in Jake's life. So yeah, you're, you're reading the subtext. Yeah. 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 Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, sound the spoiler alarm here, I guess. And uh, we're going to take a really quick break. And when we come back, we'll get into spoilers with the autobiography of Benjamin Sisko here. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Positively Trek. We truly do appreciate each and every one of our listeners. And I'd like to especially thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you to our Constitution Class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of Positively Trek and join our crew, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, ad-free episodes, and more. Again, that's patreon.com slash positively trek. Thank you all and live long and prosper. So starting out in this novel, we've got uh, Cisco's early years, his his childhood. And, and before that, even we get kind of the history of his family and New Orleans and that sort of thing. 
And I thought that was a really interesting take on a city in the 24th century that we really only see little bits of. Uh, I think like we see Cisco's restaurant, <laughs> the inside and the and the front and like a cart go by with horses. <laughs> I, I thought this was like a great kind of extrapolation of that. How did how did that idea come about that uh, not not. Not Luddites necessarily, but like just the kind of rejection of a lot of the modern technology of the 24th century. Uh, a few things, um, and you're absolutely right, Dan. A few things. One, as a fan, just like you and everybody else, we always saw the facade Cisco's and we never saw what was on either side, you know? And I'm like, I want to know. Mm. Don't you want to know? I want to know. Yeah. So I know you guys want to know. So let's let's find out. Let's find out. So that was on my list, right? It's just, just things that were on my list. And then um, I thought a lot about Gene Roddenberry. I thought a lot about Gene Roddenberry. And I was like, you know, Gene Roddenberry says that, that we have this utopian future. But what Gene Roddenberry, he put a lot of time and effort and thought into creating Star Trek. And what he really says is, well, before we got to that utopian society, uh, World War III happens. It all, the, the, you know what hits the fan? Humanity really messes up and then we mess up so badly and we have to look at ourselves so starkly in the mirror and we're like oh wow we need to turn this corner as a species and as we do that Zephyrin creates you know warp drive and then the Vulcans show up and then we all start to look towards space so I was like okay well if that's the case if, if Gene Roddenberry Mr. Roddenberry set all that up then you know just think about the DS9 writers put Ben in the best place to put him. Oh my God, Louisiana, New Orleans. And I didn't know anything about really New Orleans. I'd never been. So I spent like two weeks just before writing a word, researching documentaries. I watched the entire series Treme on HBO, which is a dope show. And, and what I already knew, but really came to, to, to absorb and understand is that um, New Orleans and, and Louisiana, um, especially New Orleans is a, is a, um, a service city, you know, it, it's really about um, the music, jazz and food and entertainment. And, and it, it's, a, it's a service city. And I, I didn't really see that just turning on a dime and saying, okay, um, we've been a service industry for um, all these centuries. And now there are replicators <laughs> and holodecks and we're going to abandon all that for the future. That's not what humans do. That's not realistic. You know, humans wouldn't do that. They want to hold on to their culture. They want to hold on um, to their history. And it's also an excellent way for me to make a commentary about Earth, about culture, about Black culture. You know, it was just so many opportunities if I took that route. And I was like, well, it's a little bit more difficult, but it 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 it, it, it would it would be so fruitful if I did that. And I think um, more organic and believable. And so I, and then even in the book, I equate um, the people of, of Louisiana um, to the Amish in many ways, where it's like, you know, we're, we understand we're in the 23rd, 24th century, but we're rejecting that technology. You know, we, we, we um, we're holding on to our culture and earth says, okay, you know, we're not going to go to war or, or separate you or anything. Okay. You know, and in doing that and allowing them to do that. Um, it becomes this beautiful place where people can still go and have those ties and those connections to Earth's past. And I think that's something that 
we would all need in the 24th century as things become so streamlined and clean, we still need those things. You know, we still need the remembrance centers around the world. And mm -hmm. we need those things to remember where we all come from. Because technology is great and the future is great, but if you don't know where you, it's that old saying, if you don't know where you come from, then you're destined to make the mistakes of the past. So I love the the depiction of just where they they kind of chose to be technologically speaking. Um, the the part that jumped out at me that I really enjoyed was that like oh they just have these primitive smartphones. That's <laughs> that's where they, they have cell phones. It's like, oh, that's kind of funny. It, just turning on uh, on our head kind of what we think of as primitive and what they would think of as, as old technology and stuff. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I just thought it would be really cool to do that and 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 show that, you know, um, there are people that, cause I know there are people that don't like smartphones that they still have their flip phones, right? So I was like, yeah, we could, that makes mm -hmm. sense. That makes sense, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I remember reading this and thinking about how important in this book history is to the Cisco's and culture. And it made so much sense, too, because when you see in the TV series, Ben Cisco is so into this old time baseball thing that a lot of people don't know about. And he's all into jazz and playing the original instruments and not synthesized stuff. You know, it makes so much sense. And seeing the things around his his apartment or his quarters or whatever in his office, you know, his culture there, it makes sense that he grew up in that type of environment. And like you said, the restaurant looks that way, right? They're not replicating stuff. They're not beaming in and out. And <laughs> it just made so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because a lot of Benjamin Cisco obviously is Mr. Avery Brooks infusing a lot of his own personality and all that. So, I mean, we know that, but then my job is like, well, why is Benjamin Cisco like that? You know, why does he have this fascination with baseball? Why does he not like 1950s Las Vegas? You know, um, I know why Avery Brooks would not like 1950s Las Vegas, but why would someone in the 24th century who where racism isn't a thing have a problem with that? Right. So that wouldn't make mm -hmm. that wouldn't make sense. Right. So I had to really kind of deconstruct a lot of things and and so I looked um also I looked to Joseph because of, as much as this is Ben's autobiography in a lot of ways it's Joseph's as well and it shows that Joseph has certain aspects of of um pain and trauma and, and the Cisco family that they haven't let go of from the um era of racism and and even slavery and and there's that conversation that, that he has with with um Ben and Ben is like, I understand all these things, but I understand why no Cisco's ever left Earth, but that's why I have to leave Earth, you know? And so I tried to show that like parents do often, they think they're doing the, the right thing and the best thing, but that thing can often be stifling to the child, you know? And Joseph wanting to keep everyone on Earth. In the 24th century, it's a big galaxy out there, man. And you're preventing your kids and, and your family from partaking in that is really stifling, you know? But that trauma, he can't really see that. And it takes Ben to kind of show him. And then you start to see the family start to slowly open up, you know, like when they go to Bozeman and stuff like that. And, and even Joseph starts to slowly open up as well in the book. And trying to show that, you know, 
people don't always do the right thing. People don't always have, they, they, people have issues in their past. I know people in my family and humans have issues and we don't always learn. We sometimes, a lot of times we learn from our kids or we learn from our, from our parents or grandparents. Now I know it's been my experience. So I was trying to put that into the book. I loved the depiction of Cisco's family and the dynamics and, and that sort of thing. Like his father, like you said, kind of thinking, feeling like he's doing the right thing and really resisting the path that Ben wants to take. But as soon as it's clear his convictions about this and why he wants to do this, he just turns and, and will now do everything he can to make sure he succeeds at that. I just like that made me emotional. I love that. And I was thinking while I was reading that, like the episode far beyond the stars, we see Joseph take a trip to Bajor to deep space nine to go see his son and like how far he would have had to come to make that trip after, you know, no Cisco has left earth kind right, of thing. Right. Or, you know, that was right. amazing. That was really Yeah. Cool. I remember, um, um, like I watched, I watched, uh, I didn't really watch any deep space nine when I wrote the book, I watched pale moonlight like four times back to back. Mm. And I watched, um, uh, far beyond the stars once. And then I didn't watch any Deep Space Nine after that. And I just wrote. But you're right. In the beginning, I was like, oh, right. I have almost forgotten that. Because, you know, Far Beyond the Stars is such a powerful episode. You forget about the framing. The framing, right, you know, yeah. For that. I was like, oh, right. You know, Joseph is like, that's like the farthest Joseph's ever been. You know, he's like, Deep Space Nine. And I'm leaving Earth to see my son. And I was like, yeah, Joseph really has this thing, you know? And and when we see him in that two-parter, um, uh, Paradise and Homefront, you know, here's a man doesn't like doesn't like replicators, he doesn't like all this stuff. And that really helped me to frame uh, the Cisco family. It even helped us frame uh, New Orleans a lot. I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. He's a cook and he's like, he doesn't want to let go of any of that stuff. Well, you, you do such a great job of giving life to a lot of aspects of Cisco's family. So like the, first of all, the family dynamic, but also like the cooking and the, the feeling around the, the kind of inn that they run and the jazz music and all of that is just so strong in this book. And it's been a long time since I've had this experience, but when Cisco goes to high school for the first time and like, opens up his lunch in that room. I swear I could smell that. Like that was great. <laughs> that was a, that was a, that was a fun scene to write. I wrote that. A lot of the scenes, a lot of the 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 scenes I really enjoyed for some reason were written like two, three in the morning, man. I had just because uh I don't know why, but it just happened like that. And so that scene was like a late night scene. And uh I was like, well, you know, what am I gonna do? And I'm like, you know what? And it just, I just started thinking about it. And again, you know, once you start things a certain way, it almost starts to fall in place for you. Because I was like, well, it's not going to be, because we've all been to high school, but it's not, it's not going to be like our high school. There's not going to be a cafeteria with the food trays. You know, it's going to be slots in the wall, right? And it's going to be a line. Yeah. It's going to be a line for the slot in the wall, right? And so, Yeah, who packs the lunch? Nobody's going to pack a lunch. Who has a yeah. bag? <laughs> who, who would be like, what? What are you doing? Who? Who has a Star Trek lunchbox? Who has a Star no Trek one. lunchbox, right? What are you doing? <laughs> Discovery. That's not even a ship. Who knows that? Right? So, you know, but, and so, so, you know, he, he gets there and he realizes that, you know, his parents always try to do the best for him, but he's been homeschooled. 
all of these things, and it it, it, it helped him foundationally, but he's really the odd man out now, you know? And people are looking at him like, oh, you are just the other man, because, you know, and crab cakes? Crab cakes that, you know? <laughs> and, and first of all, we know that, that that fish of any kind, if it's prepared well or even or poorly, will smell. But if it's prepared well, it just smells so great. And people looking at him, you know, and I was like, yeah, this is good because people like, you know, they don't, what's that? You know, so yeah, that was, that was fun. To, that was fun to do. <laughs> but yeah, and, and so eventually, as we've said, he kind of starts to embrace the idea of the new, right? He's, he's playing with the transporter out back and getting into lots of trouble without his parents knowing and undergoing that kind of traumatic experience and stuff. And it's these uh, building of these model starships which is something i can really relate to that i I love that uh that gets him interested in in starfleet and stuff so um it must have been a bit of a challenge to kind of figure out how to transition him from that world into being a starfleet officer right because it, it feels like it's a that's a big step for for Cisco and his family, and and I wonder if was there any particular challenge you found in kind of crafting how that went about? Um, well, I, I did spend a lot of time in his childhood, just because I felt it was necessary and it was so foundational. And really quick, that starship with his mom brings him starships. I have an artificial hip, and I was in a cast for six months mm. where I couldn't move. Oh wow! So that comes from my experience. And my mom brought me starships so that I didn't oh, go. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't go out of my brain and I just would um, build models, you know, in my bed, build models. So I gave that to to Ben um, and and not out of a conceit, but I, I really cool. thought it would help the character in that, in that moment, you know, but I don't know. I mean, once I got him, once I got him out of that and got him to high school, that worked really well because then I realized, um, um, and also what really helped was reading the other autobiographies because that's another thing I did before I started to write. I had already um, listened to Janeway's um, um, by listening to it by Kate Mogul was just phenomenal. Um, Una McCormick's work is phenomenal. Um, but I didn't want to repeat anything done in any way in any of the other ones. And so um, one of the things I really liked um, in the Janeway one is that, well, it's a little spoiler, in the Janeway one is that uh, Janeway goes to Starfleet early. Mm-hmm. And so um, I thought this is an opportunity uh, for um, Ben's parents to say, you know, yeah, you know, you're smart enough to go early, but man, you don't know what you don't know. And and and, and it's a big, it's a big world. It's a big, you know, quadrant. You need to go to high school first. You need to, and once I had gotten that, and once once they convinced him that, then that was great. Um, and and then there was that um that um scene I really enjoyed writing uh, when he and the family go to uh, our Starfleet Academy, like the um uh, entry place where they're at, where they all the family um, say goodbye, you know. And that was great. Once I had that scene, it was I knew where I wanted to go for that, and that was a lot of fun uh, of doing that. And once I had that. That was like the midpoint, I think, for me in writing the book, because I was saying goodbye to all of his uh, early years. And I, I kind of thought of the book in like this, this three three acts, you know, his his um, childhood, 
um, would inform his Starfleet years, Starfleet Academy years, and then and then his childhood and Starfleet Academy years would inform his years as a man. So you know, uh, first act, second act, third act. I really liked that, by the way, with the the choice of his parents to kind of say, you know, don't go early. I I feel. I feel like I I most connected with Cisco at that part of the story because like the the all of the urges within him would be to say like as we all do to our parents at some point in our life you don't know what you're talking about you're not making the right decisions for me I know what I know what I want and uh I love that he ended up listening to them and and doing that I just that felt so real having lived in like I'm I'm not a parent but as an adult now seeing that side of it more um I, I really appreciated how both sides there it, it just felt so real you yeah know? yeah thank you yeah yeah I'm, I'm not a parent either but I mean I've had these experiences you know my mom has told me stuff uh oh I don't think you should do that or you should I'm like what are you talking about and I'm like oh she was right you know <laughs> so you know, um, that hindsight, you know, um, has has really informed me uh, as a writer um, and, and and giving that in the, in the story. I think a lot of people could identify, you know, with that. Um, and it, it, it proved uh, good for Ben. He's just fully formed. When we see him in Emissary, unlike the other captains, he's just like this fully formed person. You know, he's got this balance, yeah. and, you know, and, and I, that was a challenge because... It, honestly, it's easier to write someone that has issues or problems because then you can say, oh, where did the problem come from? But here's this fully formed person that's pretty much good to go. You know, he, he's he got a good work-life balance and he treats his people well. And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, where did all this come from? I really have to show all of this foundational work that was done from his family. And I, I really got to show all that. So that when you can watch Deep Space Nine, like Bruce is saying, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I can see that from the book. I can see those lines. I can, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I kind of wanted to mention that as well, because I feel like Cisco is just so unique among the Star Trek captains. Like Kirk, Picard and Janeway, I think, are pretty much blank slates when they start out, like when we find out anything about their past, it's because writer X of episode Y decides like, Oh, let's put this in their backstory. Cisco has so much backstory from the beginning. We see these flashbacks. We find out that he has this trauma, this uh, experience he's gone through that just places him very uniquely. And I, I felt like in some ways that would be, kind of a boon to writing him because you've kind of got that to work with, but also maybe a bit of a challenge because you have to construct the rest. You, you don't have as much freedom maybe to kind of construct how that all goes about. So uh, I, I don't know if there's necessarily a question there, just like I, I, I love how unique Cisco is in that respect. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I just want to say to that, I just want to say that, you know, I hadn't thought about it till you were saying that, Dan, out of all the captains or the leads in the Star Trek series, Ben's more of the family captain more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. 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 And this book mm-hmm. shows how strong and how important family is. And so it makes a lot of sense that he's a little more unique than those others because of what is framed in this book about family and tradition and culture. Both of you are exactly, I mean, I don't, I can, I can leave. Both of you are exactly right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is exactly it, and 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 it was both a boon 
and a challenge because we meet him and he he's a, a father. He is a widower in the in the premiere, right? And so it's like, wow, he, mm -hmm. you know, all these things. And then uh, second season is mentioned he has two brothers. Seventh season is mentioned he has a sister, Judith. I'm like, how am I going to, how am I going to do that? Where am I going to, why haven't we seen them? You know, why doesn't he talk about them? So all of that had to come into play. And I didn't want to use um, something contrived like, well, you know, they're, 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 his siblings are dead or something like that. I, I wanted to really lean on, on things that felt organic and real. So I wanted to create siblings that weren't caricatures, but characters and give them full lives. And in doing so, if I gave them full enough lives, then you would understand in the book and the reading why they're not around and why they doesn't speak about them because siblings don't always do that. And they're so busy. They're doing their, they're doing their thing because of the kind of lives they have. They're doing their own thing. And, 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 and doing all that, hopefully it, it shows you um, how he became the person that we see from that first episode, you know, emissary. So yeah, you're right. So yeah, moving on into, I guess, his academy and early Starfleet career here, uh, we get a lot of uh, encounters with some familiar faces. And I loved the inclusion of, of characters like Trila Scott from Conspiracy and, uh, you know, a very young Jordy LaForge helping them in the academy uh, situation there. Was there anybody that uh, you didn't get to include that you wanted to throw in there or, or anything that, that road's not taken for that? Oh, man. Um, yeah, it was, that, was, that was a lot of fun to do that. Um, I've always wanted to write a Charlie Scott story. So mm -hmm. I was like, I love that character, but they they created that character and then killed her. Well, kind of not really killed her, but... How, what happened to it just left out there, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to kind of like answer that question and utilize that character in a way that I thought um, would be really cool um, and continue her character and also make it, a, make it a, a pivotal moment in Ben's life. Because by the time he gets to the Academy, you know, Ben is still not fully formed Benjamin Sisko that we know, you know, he's picking up things from people. And, and even Charlie says, you know, to him, <laughs> Everybody could see where you should be going or who you should, but except you. He's like, what? you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and I, I thought that was a, a really interesting approach because I know in my own lifetimes, people have told me, oh, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. And I'm like, what? And because I think that's often who we are is that we don't always, it's always easier for someone to see something about someone else outside than to look within and see what's happening with us within. And so I wanted to show that with Ben. So he can't see that he's this natural leader. You know, everybody else around him can see it. He can't, he just can't see it until it's really thrust upon him, you know? And um, um, as, as for other people, other scenes, there was that that um protocol scene, that was, that was a really fun scene to write. And I, I, I realized that there's an overlap a year when Jordy, Janeway, and Riker and Ben were all at the Academy at mm. the same time. Um, and so I was gonna put them all in that in that scene. And uh powers of B were like, that's too much. <laughs> it was like, that's a little too much. <laughs> Roll it back. Cause it's just too many people in that one room from everyone that we know. And mm. I was like, yeah, that 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 that's that makes sense. You know, I was just really going a little too far. And so we just we um decided on Jordy because Jordy is needed for that scene. 
and, and it's a great meet, you know, it's a great meet um to have Jordy. So that and I, I thought it was a funny scene though, the crisis uh crisis protocol scene. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Very, very uh atmospheric with uh, the complete blackness just lit by the transporters going off. It was really cool to kind of construct that in your head while right, you're right, it. Right, right, right. You get these fun. flashes of light and then it's dark again and you know, kids crying because you know they're they're, they're teens, you know, and they're like What's going on and what's happening? And yeah, yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. I, another bit that I love from kind of Cisco's early Starfleet stuff is his assignment to that starbase where he has to build uh, with this team this uh, wooden sailing ship out of out of this alien. Uh, basically um sequoia wood and uh of course ends up that that was a wonderful little reveal at the end naming it the defiant yes, that was I love that. great <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that was a, that's an, another line in an episode of deep space nine he says uh during the during the academy some of the times i spent on starbase 137 was the most rewarding time in my life i'm like oh well gee well gee hmm. thanks what do I do for that? You know? And I was like, okay, okay. So I said, this is an opportunity. That's cool. Right. I was like, this is an opportunity to do a star base and to do a whole planet. And I was like, well, you know, um, what am I going to do? And one of the things that has always um, been curious to me and I've loved is in next gen, that whole wood frame for the sensor palette, you know? And I was like, that's, that's, that's really cool, but that can't just be regular regular wood in the 24th century in a starship it wouldn't just be regular wood right it would be like wood from some planet or something right and so i was like well this is my opportunity right to to do that and uh like you know this is like sequoia uh, uh, underwater forest of sequoia i mean that's something totally we've never seen before and so um yeah and him on that planet and 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 having to build an egyptian barge only with the materials from that planet shows uh leadership shows team building you know, and in the episode Explorers, Cisco mm -hmm. builds a lightship, a Bajoran lightship. And what's interesting in that episode is that, you know, he just starts building it and he has these skills. And then he says to Jake twice in that episode, oh, we'll make a sailor of you yet. Which is implying that he is already a sailor and he's going to make a sailor out of his son. So I'm like, well, where did he learn those skills? So that's how Starbase 137 came about. I was like, okay, this would be a great opportunity to do all that and put all of that on Starbase uh, 137. And the Defiant wow. was, was nice. You know, it was a nice... Uh, yeah, it yeah. totally makes sense now that you point out that episode. <laughs> wow, yeah, that was cool. That's, that's a good callback right there. Well, we've got, uh, of course, we've got Cisco's friendship with Dax and, and all the stuff that he gets up to. I, I thought that was handled pretty well because... Curzon Dax is a character, and I feel like a lot of the women in Cisco's life would be looking at him kind of sideways. So I, I thought that was uh, that was handled well. How you know Jennifer feels about Curzon and all that kind of stuff. Oh man, yeah, I don't know if I want you around him. You know, I know my girlfriend has told me like I don't know if I want you around some of your friends. You know, um. And we're like, yeah, okay, you know. But I mean, you know, that's 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 life. Um, I really enjoyed that relationship, writing that relationship. It was just really a, a lot of fun. Like their their first real real meet, and just to see um how Curazon is just trying to walk all over him, man. You know, um, because that's what Curazon would do. 
and has we've seen that he has done with people. And and mm -hmm. and just to see the beginning of their relationship, and because Curazon is the kind of person he's not gonna he's not gonna love you until he respects you. And he's gonna walk all over you until he respects you. So, you know, I have to show where that how that how that all starts, and that was a lot of fun. It gives a little bit more insight into Cisco assigning Dr. Bashir to look after the ambassadors <laughs> in that season one DS9 right. episode as well. <laughs> right, right, right. And 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 where the idea of um of 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 the of the of the uh, framing of them saying um of them calling him an old man all the time. You know, I'm an old man. Mm -hmm. so you're a lot of things, but you're not an old man. You know, I thought that was that was really cool. So that was a lot of fun to do that with them. So from there, we get uh, the Saratoga. Mm. And this was a surprising part of the book here. The Vulcan captain, Captain Storrell, who, of course, was played by J.G. Hertzler in the pilot episode. Not a typical Vulcan captain. I thought that was a really fun character in the kind of uh, bridge band that they got <laughs> yeah. going on there. That was so much fun. Yeah, man. The bridge crew band. I mean, you know, from my other Star Trek stuff, I try and do things that are different. And show uh, Star Trek and show the, the, the world in different ways. Um, but it still all has to make sense. It all still has to fall in with canon and fall in with, with, with something that, that makes sense with Star Trek. And uh, a Vulcan that will uh, play jazz and play the trumpet specifically, it makes perfect sense to me. Because he, he can't emote in ways... Vulcans never emote in ways you expect them to. That's something that we've always known, right? They always find different ways. Because these... These people are masters at repression. So they find ways, other ways to emote. And for, for him to emote through one of the most emotional instruments in human history, to me, makes perfect sense. You know, because mm -hmm. he's not going to say things, but he'll he'll show you what he's feeling, you know, when he's holding a note, you know. And then them playing together, if they can play well together and have that kind of spontaneity, then they should work well together. Um, so the logic is also there, you know, his, his thinking makes sense logically too. So, yeah, I was not expecting them to break out into a band. <laughs> and all that. I was like, what is going on? Here? Going and I, thought, there, I was like, there's going to be some catch. They're on a holodeck or so something's going on, but that was really good. <laughs> we'll get kind of through the rest of the story a little bit here. We've got, uh, you know, his time on deep space nine, his time designing the defiant and how that, became such a, a mission of his because of, of what he went through at Wolf 359. With regards to the DS9 stuff, was there anything that, uh, like, how did you decide what to include and what to exclude? Because, like, there's so much there, right? Oh, that, man, yeah. That it's important to Cisco. Oh, and... Yeah, that's a great, excuse me, that's a great question. Um, I think what I did, uh, I, I remember I had that same thought. I was like, what to include, what to exclude? And throughout the whole book, I know it's called the autobiography of Benjamin Sisko, but for me, it's just a father talking to his son. Yeah, mm -hmm. and Jake Jake's been there for a lot of DS Nine. Right, right. Yeah. So, so yeah. there were things that he's just not going to talk about because that's not the point of him talking to Jake. Oh, remember that time when we were? That's not you know. He's trying to give Jake these life lessons. Right. He just got to the wormhole from Ben's point of view. He just got to the wormhole. He hasn't spoken to his son in a couple of days from his point of view. Right. So he's trying to give his son these life lessons and steer his son on a certain path. Right. So he's not going to talk about, um, you know, the time we all No, He's, you know, so what Ben is trying to do is talk to Jake about when it comes to Deep Space Nine, 
and the war and the people and stuff. He wants Jake to know about the people, how he feels about these people, because Jake may have Jake will have his own impression of the the the, the senior staff, but now Ben is saying, "Hey, this is how I feel about these people. This is who they are to me. This is no holes barred. I'm telling you who they are. Um, if you ever encounter these people, or if you ever need these people, I mean, of course you don't encounter them, but if you ever need them, this is who I see them as in their truest form." You know, he goes through the list. He talks about Garrick. You know, he's, he gives him his honest opinion on how he feels who Garrick is, who Bashir is, who who all these people are, because he's giving this information to his son because his son might need this one day. And that's what a father would need to give to his son. And that is how I decided what to put in the in about the S9. It's always for me, what is Ben telling to Jake? not so much as an autobiography. And I know that people may be, may be like, oh, well, I want to know about this and I want to know about that. And I, I get that. But from my point of view is what does Ben want to tell Jake? And then how can I do that? And then show some Deep Space Nine stuff so that we get what we all, we all want. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did love that kind of going character by character and, and picking out the lessons that Cisco learned about them or, or about the world through them kind of thing. I thought that was really cool. Um, also, I appreciated that, that Jake isn't going to start the next war between <laughs> yeah. you know the Federation and the Romulans. He's going to yeah, leave yeah, a little bit leave a little, <laughs> Yeah. 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 He's going to leave a little, you know, and I, I, and I wrote out what he says to him. Um, hmm. I did. He's not just black. I wrote it out. And then, um, then I, you know, redacted um, it there yeah. redacted it thank you yeah which which is great because when we're getting to that point i was like i don't know how you're gonna do this is he gonna reveal everything <laughs> he can't I'm like uh, how's he gonna handle this and i really love how we got to that chapter at the end it's like oh yeah it's all redacted yeah. I'm it's like, all redacted yes yeah. makes sense yeah yes yeah and he's still saying to jake certain things so that you know so the reader knows what i'm what ben is talking about you know he says like when you have to there's an old saying when you have to dance with the devil you know, in the pale moonlight, you know, leave before the music. You know, mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, that's you know, so so yeah. So I'm um, you know, that's a nod to that, obviously. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, that that was a lot of fun to um to figure out. I'm like, how am I gonna do that? That was another challenge. There was a lot of challenges in this book because I was like, oh, what am I gonna do about that? And how am I gonna do that? But that was a lot of fun. That was a, a fun section. I have a quick question, excuse me, for you guys. What did you guys think about those nonlinear um, sections? I, yeah. I wanted to ask about that. Yeah, because that was interesting. And again, really informing, oh, it's not linear. Like it's uh, like, like the prophets are almost uh, intruding on Cisco's memories of his past events. And he's remembering things different because of, of what's going on there. I thought that was really fascinating. And I I found myself wondering like how that looks to Jake as he's, as he's getting this information and stuff. And I, I don't know. I was really fascinated by that. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I mean, when I first got to it the first time I was like, what's going on here? Like, I feel like I know what's going on, but it's an autobiography, but it's not really bent. And then I thought, or is this you like the author, like stepping out of this fictional autobiography and given this, and I'm like, no, that's not, I'm like, is it the, the prophets? Is it 
Benny? Is it like, you know, I was just like really trying to figure it out. And I had to go back and read the first one again and stuff. But yeah, that was, uh, but yeah, I want to hear what you have to say. Like, what, what were you doing there? But I was just trying to, I was like, what's it like to be in the, in the wormhole? Yeah. Because on top of, on top of everything, I think part of my job is to give the reader some kind of sense. What's it like to be in a place like that? Right. You know, um, and then I remember I was writing and I was writing and I was writing and I knew that I, I knew I needed moments that just deviate, you know, no warning, no, just deviate because it's, it's nonlinear, you know, and I had gotten to the high school section and I said, you know, this was a great place because I, I realized that by the high school section, I, I, th I thought that I had the reader so well that when you turn the page, you're not expecting something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's like, what? And people have told me that they're like, there's something missing is what, what's happening, you know? And then it's not, it's not written in first, it's in third, you know? So it's a, it's, it's a whole different. And I, I think that really, and then if you read those three moments separately, they tell a story, you know? So it's mm -hmm. not, it's not just, it, it is nonlinear, but they tell a story as well. So so um, there's a lot going on in that. And I'm, I'm trying to show what it's like for him, you know, um, and how the first one is very um, uh, unexpected and brass. And then the second one is a little bit easier. And then by the third one, it's, it's almost like he's aware of it happening, you know. So things are happening as we're progressing, you know, so. Well, that kind of brings me to... Uh just kind of the, the structure and the format of the book as a whole, because, uh, when it was first released, I noticed this thing online and I had, I had already started reading it. I kind of knew what, what was going on in the book a little bit, but there's this knee jerk reaction by people commenting on social media, which is just like a whole thing in and of itself. But, you know, everybody, you know, thinks they're, they're so smart because they say it's an autobiography of Benjamin Sisko by Jake Sisko. Well, that's not an autobiography. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but like, you know, I'm futilely in the comments trying to explain like, no, no, it's Benjamin Sisko's words. Trust me, you know, just read it, blah, blah, blah. But then I get to the end of the book and there's like, <laughs> another layer deep and i love this because it's an autobiography as told by benjamin sisko to jake sisko written by derek tyler attico but also maybe written by benny russell as well and that was such a, a cool little reveal at the end um i i'm kind of curious what the what the editor and the publisher thought of that and and what that discussion was like um well thank you and and and, and i i read that same uh thread i think it was on facebook and i wanted to chime in so bad I'm like no nah, no nah, i'll just let them go yeah, at it. I <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just let them go at it because you know oh um, well i took like um before writing anything you have to give an outline to cbs and to titan of course so i took like a week or two um once i had gotten the the, the project it took like a week or two to write the outline, or maybe more, to write the outline. Uh, it's a lot of times just thinking, standing in the shower and just thinking. And um, I realized that I needed those nonlinear places. I realized that, you know, because all of that had to reflect, you know, this is so much to reflect 
Deep Space Nine. Uh, there's just so many things. You know, it, it has to reflect the show um, and how the show has this uh, realism to it. Um, it has to also reflect this whole nonlinear aspect to where he, to Ben. It has to reflect this captain and and you know just so many things. All the things we've been talking about that it, that this um, autobiography had to had to reflect. And so I I took a lot of time thinking about the outline and packing it all in. And um, when I gave it to uh, Titan and CBS looked it over, they were like, "Oh yeah, this is this is this is good." And there wasn't really any notes or anything. They they uh, everybody liked. The ideas I had, which was very rewarding to me because my this is also my first novel. So I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> you know, at least everybody's liking what I'm got planned. Now I just got to do it. Um, but I, I was like, okay, you know, I'm not crazy. Um, this is a good idea to to for these things. Um, so yeah, that that was that was very re rewarding. Um, and then to go ahead and do it was the, I think the hardest, the hardest part, right? Yeah. Well, I feel like it's really fitting because, and I was just thinking this while, while we were talking here, you know, Deep Space Nine is a Star Trek show, but it's also something more. Cisco's a Starfleet captain, but he's also something more. And mm -hmm. that works because this autobiography is an autobiography of Cisco, but it's also something a little bit more, more once you right. get to the end there. And it just, it fits with, with what deep space nine means to me as a fan. So yeah, I, I think yeah. it, this works so well as a companion to, to DS nine and yeah. everything it stands for really. Yeah. Thank you. And, and I'm sorry to answer your question about, about the whole end of it with Benny. I realized in the outline, there's really no way for Ben to talk about the events in uh, far beyond the stars. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause he's talking to, mm -hmm. Jake and does that not really? It doesn't really make any sense when we're talking about Jake in the way I framed it. But if at the end, this is Benny Russell, twenty thirty years later, man, and he finally got his stuff published. That's a commentary too, you know, and and that's saying something, and that's saying something about this man's life, and then that's very meta, and then then you could think about the. Strange New World story I wrote, Dreamer and a Dream, and how that all intersects. And so then um, we we did talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, the the um, George, the editor, and I was like, oh wow, yeah, that that kind of intersects with that other story I wrote, and that's kind of trippy. And yeah, that's a great ending. That's a great way to bookend everything, you know. So I think it's yeah. an excellent ending. It's perfect for this because it really, to me summarizes what we've learned from DS9 and the Bunny Russell character. There's almost like a blur between the two. So it totally makes sense. Well, last thing I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about is, of course, the uh, the insert photos in the middle, which is such a, a fun addition. And uh, I, I, I can't remember the name of the person you collaborated with uh, to create those, but um, talk a little bit about how those came about and Man, that's so. That's just a great story. Russell Walks is the artist, and and so Russell was like the first uh, beta reader for the manuscript, um, mm. because he had to read it to you know do all the the images right. And I didn't know um, Russell from I didn't never knew him, never met him before. And then one day on 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 Twitter he posts, "Oh, I just finished reading um, Attico's manuscript." 
for the autobiography of Benjamin Sisko. And it's great. Wait till you guys read it, right? <laughs> so so then we connected and, uh, and we just really hit it off. And, um, you know, he's very, very nice guy, very gracious. And so we started to collaborate and he was like, hey, you know, if you have any suggestions, this and that. And, and so the collaboration was like, you know, 80% Russell, 20%, you know, but I would say things to him like in the family photo, um, David and Elias are twins, you know, but Elias is, is, is into sports. So can you make Elias look a little bit bigger? Because, you know, if he was, and he was like, oh, I like that. I like that. I was like, yeah, you know, because if Elias is into sports, he's going to look a little bit bigger than his, his twin brother. He was like, yeah, it's cool. And it's things like that, you know, um, mm -hmm. um, uh, hairstyles we talked about and how to do hair and, and, um, he, he did that great picture of, um, Ben at like age seven or eight, um, with, um, his, um, stuffed animal, Mr. Bayou. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that was a really great picture. And, um, the one that he and I worked a lot on was that, um, um, strange tales picture. Um, oh, yeah. and that's a scene out of the Star Trek uh, 2016 uh, Strange New World story, The Dream and the Dream, when the Enterprise is going to um, Deep Space Nine and, and, and the Alpha Quadrant is um, is um, basically uh, um, a flame, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So that's that scene. And and so we, we just was like, oh, this would be very meta and this would be like all these Easter eggs. And so, yeah, so we came up with that and he did a beautiful picture for that, so... Working with yeah, him was. A, I'm looking was at a it now. It looks great. Yeah, yeah. I'm going back and looking at these again. Yeah, he, he's he's phenomenal. Um, he's just phenomenal. And we we I, I wanted him to do a a scene like um with the whole crew in their um Niners baseball outfits, and he was mm. like ah uh, he was like ah uh, that's good. He said, but it's better if we do Vicks because if we do them all in Niners outfits, it's basically the same outfit for everybody. Right. And he's mm -hmm. like, that's not going to look good, Derek. If we do VIX, then we could do different personalities from different people wearing different things. I'm like, oh, you're right. You know, I mean, you're the artist. Of course you're right. And, you know, I defer to you, man. You're the artist. So it was that kind of collaboration, you know, and that kind of synergy between us um, that it was just wonderful to have. And I think it's all in the book. And he really breathed a life into these characters because you can look at these people and they, they feel like people, at least for me, they feel like people mm -hmm. looking at them, you know, on um, some really great shots in there. So, yeah, I love the family photo. That's, it's wonderful. It just feels of a time, you know, right. Right. Yeah. 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 So good. So good. Yeah. So good. And I want to Mr. Bayou now. I, yeah. Right. Right. right? <laughs> I loved, we got to see Mr. Bayou. That made me very happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that and was... and uh, Cisco's daughter takes possession of Mr. Bayou. Yes, as well. Sarah, that was really yeah, sweet. Yeah, Sarah yeah. Beth, uh, Sarah Beth, Jazzy, and Cisco. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you know, it was just lots of cool things, and you know, and he he did really great, um, great work, um, just phenomenal work he did. I really enjoyed all all of the pictures. Well, I mean, I it's no secret I absolutely loved this book. I think it's incredible. I really hope. Uh, everyone listening has has read theirs already uh if you haven't and you listen to this whole thing as i've said before i question your life choices you need to <laughs> <laughs> you've spoiled it you need to go read this book but uh 
What I want to ask from you now, though, is, uh, is there anything that you're currently working on that you can talk about that you'd like to share with us? Um, not, unfortunately, really anything I can talk about. Um, I, I can say that I'm, I'm using December and January to um, outline a lot of my own stuff. So I've really never done that before. Just take about, that's one thing that, that writing this book taught me, um, the importance and power of outlining. So I'm, I'm going to outline like several projects of my own. And just get them outlined and done. And then it would be a lot easier for me to just knock them out. And that's what I'm planning to do um, for the beginning of uh, 2024. So I'm working on some things that that we'll hopefully we'll see by mid-24, hopefully. Somebody needs to talk to Simon and & Schuster and, and get you in their rotation of <laughs> Star Trek novel writers, I think. Because, yeah, like if this hasn't made them uh, sit up and take notice, I, I don't know. I don't know what. They're, they're not making good decisions over there. <laughs> well, you yes. started this before, Dan. So, you know. <laughs> at least give you a Star Trek Explorers short story. Let, at, at least that or something. In the Man, magazine. I've but, got some Star Trek stories that would just, people be, would be like, what? I mean, I've been sitting here thinking all this time. I mean, that's, all, that's what I do. So I've yeah. got some stories. Yeah, I've got some stories, yeah. Well, you know, you also need to make a trip to New Orleans sometime and have yes. that experience. Yes. Have you have you have either of you been? I've been a few times and I I went um the most recent was just maybe a year and a half ago. It was the first place I went to after COVID. Oh wow. Which was kind of a bad idea because a lot of things still weren't open. Right. But it's so weird watch around walking around the French Quarter because I keep wanting to go to Cisco's and I know it doesn't <laughs> exist. There needs to be a Cisco's in the French Quarter, right? But there is a preservation hall. And yes. I want I want to go to Preservation Hall because I've never been. You know, mm. and and yeah. um and that scene in Preservation Hall, um, I fell in love with Preservation Hall doing my research. So that's why that became a, a scene in the book. So yeah, yeah, but you're right, I need to go for sure. Well, uh, where can people find you online if they wanna keep up to date with what you've got going on? Uh well, you can find me at my soon to be revamped uh website, DerekAttico.com. And um I'm across our social media platforms at Dattico, D-A-T-T-I-C-O. Um, so you can find me at, 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 at that moniker uh, or that handle at um, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Insta, and TikTok currently. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a thrill. Uh, I, I really, I look forward to more uh, from you in the Star Trek universe and beyond in the future. Um, Star Trek Adventures, we didn't really talk about that. I, oh, yeah. I I have a bunch of stuff that I bought when it first came out still unwrapped. I've never played. I've never learned how to play, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, uh, I know, I know you're active in that and, and did a lot of work for them. And, and, uh, they're in the book. It's in the book. I've got, I've got, there's like 50 to hundred Easter eggs in this book. So stuff from Star Trek adventures that I've done is actually in. Oh yeah. The, the Shackleton expanse. The Shackleton expanse. You mentioned that was, that's from there. Yeah. That's from, uh, yeah. I was like, why not? And, and CBS had no problem. They were like, yeah, go ahead and do it. So once they approved it, I was like, they could approve this. They were like, yeah, no problem. Go ahead. So that was, yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. So, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Well, uh, to all our listeners and and to Bruce, thank you uh, for coming on the show. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, We will see you in the next episode. And uh, until then, as always, stay positive and keep reading. Dan Bruce, thank you. (laughs) Live long and prosper. 
You too. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you definitely, gentlemen. Thank you.